0: Psalm 139, chapter uh, sorry verse 13 is where we'll start and go to 18. We won't read the whole thing. You ought to be very familiar with it. One thing about singing, by the way, and I'm not one who just enjoys singing as an occupation or has something to do in my spare time. I know there are those who are gifted, but I am not one of them. And uh, typically things that I'm not good at, I try not to do too much of. And so singing is not something I try to do very, very often. But I understand the importance of singing. And I was thinking as we were singing um, that when you have something to sing about, you sing with much more fervor or passion than you do when you don't have anything to sing about. For instance... Uh, there's a song that us Saints fans sing called, Who'd That Say They Gonna Beat Them Saints? You know, there's a whole whole thing there. When we lose, it's not the right time to sing that song. Uh, The song really doesn't make sense. Uh, And so this Sunday, I'm not going to sing that song um, with any type of fervor because we lost last week. Um, But nonetheless, when we win or when we won, such as when I went to Atlanta to that game, uh, man, I sang that song with, you know, gusto, you know, and in, in front of a bunch of Falcons fans, and so it was, it was something I did with passion, and it's the same thing with Christ. Uh, when we have something to sing about, when He's done something for us, when He's forgiven us of our sins, when He's paid our debts, when He's been God for us, and we've submitted to Him, there's something to sing about, and so we sing. All right. That's a side topic. That was for free, Um, as they say in teaching. Psalm 139 here, let's begin reading in verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Let us pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. This is Your Word to us. Lord, may we this morning hear what You have to say and respond to You in true faith and true love, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. If I could this morning, I want to use that one verse really as a catalyst to bounce off of this morning for our sermon, which I've entitled here, Tortured Wonders. Um, It's a book I'm reading at the moment about Christian spirituality and those two terms, tortured wonders, really is what he says in this book, uh, defines who we are as humans. And so what I want to do is use that one little phrase here that the psalmist says here, fearfully and wonderfully made, and take it backward. So we're made wonderful, therefore fear God. So let's begin this morning. We are made by God. And this makes all the difference in the world. If we are nothing more than a series of unconnected events, just a just a cosmic accident without purpose, without meaning in the world, then there's no reason for you to come and spend your time at a place like this. There's no reason to... Read and study the scriptures or submit yourself to them, or to take time to pray, which is one of the most useless things you could do with your time if everything is pointless. If there is no God, prayer would be the most useless thing you could do. That's just sitting there talking to yourself, is what the world would tell us, is what psychologists would say is truly what prayer is, is honestly dealing with yourself. But if there's a God, if He has made us, if there is a purpose in His making us, then prayer would mean everything. Prayer would be the basis. Reading the Scripture would be His revelation to us of Him disclosing Himself to us. Allowing us to peek into... Things that we could not know simply by looking at creation itself. Hence, it's God's revelation to us. Here's the reality is this. We were created on purpose. We were made in His image. And after God's likeness. The philosophers get very close to this. When Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle, the three greats of Greece, um, begin to reason. And it's the first time that truly this type of reasoning and logic is beginning to be used in the world in a systematic form. And what they reason toward is the fact that there must be in this life a unity. I know there's many. Many. A multiplicity of things, of trees, of birds, of animals, of us. No one person in this room is the same. And yet there are similarities. There are unifying features. And they reason their way ultimately to some type of divine will or force or something that could be called God, an unmoved mover. And Plato himself says, man is either immortal Won't die, truly, even after death. We still continue to live in some way. Or, we're monstrous and we know that there's going to be an end to ourself. Which only creates a monster, ultimately. Which only creates something horrendous. We're the only animals that know, then, that we are going to cease to exist. But the reality is this. We won't cease existing. Jesus makes this claim and it's, sometimes I wish he wouldn't have said it uh, in the discussion of hell and whether or not hell is eternal or is it just we're going to be burned up one day and those who do not trust God will just cease to exist. The fact of the matter is Jesus says very specifically that the damnation that comes to those who refuse God in this life is eternal. Everlasting punishment is the way He says it. That's everlasting. That's for all existence. There's no ceasing to exist. We are made like Him. We have a beginning, but we have no end. It is what it is. We have been created. We've been put into a situation that we didn't ask to be put into. And yet we find ourselves here. We are made and there is a goal. People don't play football or baseball or basketball or sports. Or they don't go to uh, college. Well, maybe they do go to college when they don't have a purpose. But most people have a goal in mind. They go to a nursing program or go to seminary because they have a goal they're trying to reach or for teaching or for engineering. They have a goal. In life, if we were created, there is a goal because there is a creator. There is purpose because there's one who holds our purpose. And this is God. And this is not something I want to belabor this morning, but it's a good point for us to come back to is that we are not just moving about every day to survive. Just to have a little pleasure here and a little food there and a little rest here just to get up and do it all over again. We are moving and as Christians ought to be moving toward a goal to what the Greek term is telos, a telic orientation. God has a goal for us and we are moving up, not down, not straight, but up toward heaven. And so as we move in our lives... Yes, we have trouble, and yes, sometimes we get disoriented. Life becomes foggy, as it was this morning when I awoke. I couldn't even see across the field behind our backyard because it was so heavily fogged. And sometimes life gets like that. In the middle of conflict, in the middle of crisis, it's tough to see five feet in front of you. But yet, we know and can with our mind's eye, with our soul, pierce the darkness Pierce the fog and know that God's light is always shining. We often say that the sun's not shining today, when in fact the sun is always shining. Sometimes it seems that God is not around, that God has not heard from heaven, that my prayers are not even making it past the ceiling, that I'm just talking to myself. When in fact, his light is always shining, even in the thickest fog or the darkest night. The sun of God shines bright to warm our hearts if we can only push through the dark night and wait for the sunrise. Wait on God, as the psalmist just said this morning in 116, "Let my soul wait in silence." For God, because why? He's my refuge. We are made unique and unrepeatable. There'll never be another April. There'll never be another Casey. There'll be never be another Baylor Dag. Thank God, no. There will never be another you. You're it. You have a copyright on you that no one can hack into. No one can reproduce no matter how hard they try. You're unique and you've been made by God. Notice the terminology that the psalmist uses here. Knitted together. Now, I don't know if you are into knitting. Jessica... Has just began this type of process of quilting. Which I guess is close to knitting. And maybe a form of knitting. Maybe it's not. <clears throat> but I know that both take time. Knitting and crocheting. Which I've crocheted before by the way. I learned to do that in high school for some reason. And uh, yeah I made this little blue thing. And it took like seven hours to do. Uh, and then I never did it again. Uh, Probably because of the time constraint on there. And this is, look, the psalmist uses a specific term. He has knitted you together, together here. He spent time forming who you are. Putting all the components, the mixture to produce you together. When as yet no one could even see it. Now again, this Sunday is Sanctity of Human Life and where we talk about and think about and pray for those unborn in the womb still. And we stand up for the voices of those who can't speak and are murdered before they can even take their first breath. And yet the psalmist affirms for us, and this is where we get part of our theology of the unborn, of personhood, You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together. Where did this happen? In my mother's womb. This is where. Life, your body, your soul is a gift from God. And you know this it is His gift, it's not yours for the taking. You didn't decide to exist. It was given to you, this specific time in history. And what a great time it is to live. I mean, yes, I know there's problems, but people have never lived the way we live today, with the amenities and the food options and the housing options and air conditioning and cars and travel. Not even kings could have dreamed of living the way we live, And you don't even have to be rich to enjoy that. It's amazing what type of world we live in, and yet there's dangers with being rich. Jesus warns against that more than anything in the Bible. You may not consider yourself rich, but I'm telling you, compared to the rest of the world and how they've lived for 6,000 years, we are light years above anybody. You see, life is a gift and that's why it's wonderful. Because it's not going to be able to be enjoyed here forever. This is why, as uh, Bob has pointed out in the reading that Jessica read from 1 Corinthians, where Paul is saying, don't get so attached to this world. Not even to your wife or to your husband. Not even to your family. Don't let family things or marital things get in the way of doing the will of God in this life. It's a powerful statement. It's, it's the same statement Jesus makes in His life when, when the uh, disciples come and say, hey, by the way, uh, your, your family's outside here. You need to hurry up and finish up this sermon. And he says, who is my family? But they're right in front of me. You are my mother and my sister and my brother. We are wonderfully made because God Himself has been in the process of striving with us to make us into the person that He knows we ought to be. And He holds our identity, not this world. Not a title, not a degree, not a financial tier or tax bracket. That's not what defines you in this life. Not your job, not what your friends say. God defines you. He holds our identity. You know, it's fascinating, speaking of life again, we begin not on our own, but by a work of God in the womb. And this is why we call birth, life, conception, a miracle. It's something we can't do. It's something we can't reproduce. I mean, there are cases and and we've, We've tracked cases where we've prayed for somebody who had cancer on one scan. They take another scan and it's gone. You can't reproduce that always. If you could, doctors would do it all the time. But they can't. And this is why we call it a miracle. And life is a miracle. Have you ever seen a birth? Have you ever been a part of that process? And what what an amazing ability God has given to us to be a part of bringing another person into the world. We actually get to participate in that. What an amazing thought. We get to help create a life. He gives us that kind of responsibility, that kind of privilege in life. And it's wonderful. It's a miracle. He's created us, soul and body, and that's a wonderful thought. We're not just animals that need to eat, that need pleasure, that need rest. Yes, we have an animal component to us. That's why we're all get hungry around eleven o'clock or eleven thirty. And yet, there's more to us than that. Jesus, remember what He says to Satan, who is tempting Him to turn all the stones or rocks into bread. Says mankind does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We're wonderfully made because we are made in His image and after His likeness. And thought of thoughts, He becomes one of us. He who is spirit and not matter takes on the material flesh, clothes Himself in this cardiovascular system with nerve endings so that if you would have punched him as they did, he would have hurt or pierced him, he would have bled. He became a zygote at conception by the Holy Spirit. What a thought. This is where his life begins. This is where the Scripture tells us his life begins. is as a conceived baby in the womb and grows to a fetus and has another interaction with John the Baptist when they're both in the womb. So again, if we're talking about life this morning and the unborn who are still in the womb, the Scripture is replete with life in the womb. Here's John leaping for joy as he's already filled with the Holy Spirit. Only a person can be filled with the Holy Spirit, not a blob. You see, we were created for union and communion with God. We are meant to be one with Him. And we are meant to commune with Him, communicate with Him. And these two things are wonderful. What, what kind of life has He given to us? And yet we don't stop to take notice. We just continue on our own track, listening to the world, being told what we are by the world, which is not much. When in fact, the world doesn't even exist without us. What's created for us. I always find it fascinating, not only in our TV shows and, and our movies, But in the ancient world as well, in the myths, mankind is an afterthought. Mankind is just a cog on this wheel of the universe. Just a piece, and a small piece. And yet, the Scripture, that is not how they approach a theology of mankind. Instead, the Scripture says, everything was created for mankind. We were put at the top. If you had a pyramid of who's most important, mankind would be there. We are to have dominion and rule over this earth. And yet, today we're told we need to reduce the population of mankind. That we need to get off the earth because we're killing the earth. Whether here or there, the point is, humanity, this earth, are meant to go together. And when humanity ends, this earth will end. Because that will be the end of the ball game. However, even with this wonderful body and soul that God has given unto us, this wonderful life that He has purposed for us, that has meaning in God... Even so, we won't live forever here. We will have to go through one thing in life that we will only do once. That nobody gets to do and then try to redo. Except for those who Jesus raised from the dead, and then they had to subsequently die again. They had a practice round. But none of us are going to get a practice round on death. We're only going to do it once. And it's where the fear comes in. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. We are, are as Clapp says, who wrote this book, tortured wonders. We're tortured wonders. When we look at our life, it's wonderful, and yet there's something that overhangs us, overhangs every success we've ever had, overhangs everything like a dark cloud coming in and shadowing everything in our life, and it's death. It's the great equalizer of everyone. Because guess what? It's what we all have in common. We will all die. He tells of a story in in his book, Tortured Wonders, of one of his friends who is a lady, and she's a mom, and she's a good mom, and she had a sleepover with several other girls from the neighborhood for her girl, and they watched Bambi. Now, if you know anything about Bambi... Death is one of the critical issues that Bambi brings about. And so one of the kids goes home and talks about Bambi's mother dying. And of course the lady got upset and went and talked to this Christian lady who's trying to raise her children and not necessarily, you know, I mean there is a right time for death to be introduced in a child's life. This woman didn't want it introduced at all because she feels like death means non-existence. And what's the point of bringing that up? And yet, what is the point of bringing that up? As Christians, death is not the end. Yes, it's something we all have to go through. Yes, it's something we're not going to be in control of. Remember what Jesus says to Peter? He says, Peter, when you were young, someone else dressed you. And someone else picked you up and took you where they wanted to go. But now that you're old, you dress yourself and you go where you want to go. But when you get old, you will again have someone who dresses you and someone who takes you where you don't want to go. He's speaking about death. We'll all put on a suit or a dress that somebody else dresses us in one day. We'll all take our last breath, eat our last breath, Meal at some point. No one will escape. It's one thing we all have in common. And yet, Jesus Himself says, Do not fear this death, but instead fear the second death. The way He said it was, Don't fear the one who can take your life as far as your body. Instead, fear the one who can put you into hell. It's a powerful saying, and I always thought for the longest that he was talking about Satan. I was thinking, oh yeah, we ought to fear Satan, right? I mean, he's the one who can put us into hell, but Satan doesn't put us in hell. Only God can say, depart from me, you wicked person. I don't know you. I never knew you. You never became one with me. You never communed with me. You lived your own life. And now you can have your own life. It's what you always wanted. C.S. Lewis says it this way, in the end, there will be those who say, thy will be done to God. Or God says to them, Thou will be done. Either you submit to His will, or you will continue to serve your own will. Fear the one who can put you in hell. That is God. And also fear Him because He has made you wonderful. Look at what He's given to you. Have you ever received a cheap gift? Eh, You say, oh, that's cool, you know. Nice little gift card or whatever. Five dollars. That's nice. I appreciate that. What if somebody gave you $47,000? On a gift card. Well you're going to look at that gift very differently than you would a cheap one. Not that $5 gift cards are bad, you understand. It's just a cheaper gift. God has given to us the most expensive gift in all of the universe. Not only has He given you your life, which is a gift, but He's given you His very life, His Son, His only begotten Son, who is God. He came in the form of human flesh and dwelt among us and was killed by us as a gift, bled out for us and resurrected and ascended for our sake to clear a new path to God. That's an expensive gift. That's a gift worth thinking about. That's a gift worth getting excited about and praising God about. It is His gift to us. Do not take it lightly, but instead fear the One who has entrusted it to you. It's worth planning over. Again, if you have $47,000, you start thinking, what can I do with that? $5, I mean. Again, it's different. He's given to us something that we need to plan about, that we need to make preparation for. So, this morning, are you being obedient to God's purposes in your life? Are you in God's hands? Are you in His way in the world? Are you on the highway that leads to holiness? Are you submitting to His design in the world? One of the greatest confessions you can make is this. He is God and I am not. It's simple and yet it's something that we have a lot of trouble with. Are you being a good steward of this gift? Do you have a fear of God that leads you to God Himself? Fear is not designed to make you run away, but instead to come to Him. He's the only one who can help. He is our Creator, He has made us wonderful. And so therefore we should fear Him. And so the psalmist says it this way, I praise You, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And so this morning I think our prayer as we end should be this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way... Everlasting. The way of Jesus Christ. Who is eternal life. Amen.